Hey everyone, I'm super nervous. Um, my name is Jen and I'm an alcoholic. Um, hey my, my sobriety date is May 31st, 2019. Um, I'm originally from Queens, New York. I moved to Texas about 10 years ago. Uh, growing up in New York, I was first generation Latina in like out of my family. My parents are from South America. Um, when they first got married, they lived in Spanish Harlem for a couple of years. And be prepared, I'm just gonna let you know now, I'm gonna cry a lot. So um, yeah, my parents lived in Spanish Harlem for a while and it wasn't until like three years into their marriage and my sister was born that my mom realized um, my dad's alcoholism. And her way of dealing with that was to get them out of the city and move into Queens. So that's what they did. My mom, I guess, wanted to do the like geographical change and that would make him sober, you know, keep him away from his family who lived in the same building they lived in and that would help him out. Um, it, it didn't, obviously. Um, I came along a couple of years later. Uh, my early childhood, my early memories of my dad was like him just like passed out on the floor. Like we would come in the house and he'd just be laid out. And my mom's way of dealing with it was denial. Like, oh, he's he's sick, he fell, he's sleeping, um, you know, and like tell my sister who's five years older just to get me out of the house. Uh, her way of also dealing with it was she was, you know, she was angry, she was frustrated and she took out her aggression on us. So as a result, um, there was a lot of physical abuse growing up. Um, I'm already gonna cry. Uh, there was a lot of physical abuse growing up. Um, we used to joke and say my mom had a an arm like a Met player, a Yankee player, because no matter where we were in the house, if she threw something, you were gonna get hit in the back of the head. Um, so when I was around six, I was sexually abused for the first time. That went on for a while. Um, I have like spotty memory of that. Um, the combination of being sexually abused and then the physical abuse created a lot of anxiety in me as a kid. Um, I also became very hypervigilant anytime I was in a room, anytime there was adults around me, anytime somebody was drinking around me, specifically men. Um, I can like spot it at too young of an age across the room in a second. Um, once I could smell alcohol on somebody, I was like repelled and would like try to hide from them. Um, so my family's also, alcoholism just runs rampant in my family and it's funny to them to give a child sips of alcohol at any age it didn't matter and so I got drunk the first time when I was like seven or eight years old and I do remember it was a Thanksgiving party that we were having at our apartment and I remember taking sips I remember everybody giving me sips and then I blacked out and you know, I hear a lot of people talking about like the first time they got drunk, they like were puking all over the place. That didn't happen to me. I had a really good fuzzy feeling. I I was no longer scared of people. I was ape like in the party rather than like outside the party. And that was the beginning of how the rest of my drinking life was. Um, by the time I was 12, 13 years old, I was drinking regularly 
at the time in New York, Mad Dog 2020 was like $1.50. And it didn't matter if we were underage. The guy in the liquor store was always selling it to us. So I was drinking. I was smoking weed. I was taking acid. I was doing coke, taking pills. Um, by 13, 14, I was selling drugs at school. I was selling weed and acid. Um, I got really caught up in like the rave club scene in New York in the nineties. And that became a place of like, where I was able to be myself in a weird way. Like I was able to just not be scared. Um, I was able to just socialize. I, I, you know, I came out as bisexual and I was dating girls and it was okay rather than in my neighborhood, people were, were like getting beat up for being gay. So I felt like I found my place. I found my people. Like I could be fucked up with you. I could be messy with you and you're going to take care of me and that's going to be great. And that went on for years. Um, my, my dad's alcoholism during that time got worse and which meant my mom's, you know, my mom was really depressed for a long time. Um, most of my childhood, I don't ever remember her not being depressed. Her way at that point of dealing with it was like just getting out of the, out of town. Like she'd throw us in the car and we'd go for like a drive to and end up in Virginia where her family was from. Um, I was sexually abused a couple more times during my teens and again in my early 20s, uh, all family members, all male. Um, Whenever that would happen, I would just deal with it by drinking. Um, I, I had no one to talk to about it. I felt like I was going to take it to the grave. And I ended up talking about it finally with my sister, who is five years older than me. And the same thing had happened to her. So I finally felt like I had this one person that was like my safe person, but she had her own issues with addiction. So it did, it, it was never a hundred percent. I always felt like when I can talk to her, she's a safe person, but it wasn't all the time. So my teens, I was really, I was just out all the time. I was out Wednesday through Sunday nights. Um, I would go to clubs on Sunday nights and change into my like Catholic school uniform in the bathroom and then jump on the subway and take it out to school. Um, just sleep on the train. Um, I was in a lot of fights. I was an aggressive kid. Uh, I also hung out with a lot of guys that were older than me. There, if I, I felt safe with them because they were just big meathead guys, we would. I got involved with like stealing cars with them, motorcycles, stores. Um, I always felt like I wasn't. I wasn't really doing it because I was more of the lookout, and they were actually doing it. So I felt like I'm not a thief. You're a thief. I'm just helping out my friend. Um, so that went on for a couple of years. Uh, it was in my late 20s that a lot of friends started overdosing. Um, people were waking up in bathrooms or just not waking up at all. And I got scared, but I was now looking back, I was pretty depressed. Um, I my family life was just a mess. My mom was my mom and dad were emotionally unavailable. It was she was codependent on him. She was taking out her frustrations on him of him on us. Um, my sister had been kicked out of the house by that point, and she was the only person I really had. So once that happened, I completely shut down, and I got into a relationship with a neighborhood guy who was like our local drug dealer, and I was able to use for free whenever I wanted. Um, 
he was also really abusive. Um, I would live, I basically lived with him and his mom who loved me. And I mean, everybody knew he was smacking me around, but, and his mom would kick him out of the house at that time and look out for me. But it was one of those things like, you just don't talk about it. And that was going on in my, my family's house. Like they, they saw the bruises, they saw the marks, but I come from, my parents at the time were that like old school, you know, machismo family where it's like, well, you're a woman, like your job is to get married and have babies and that's it. So if you have a boyfriend now, you're going to end up marrying him. You know, it doesn't really matter. Like this is going to be your life. So they were fine with their 15, 16 year old daughter, like staying at his house and just living with him practically. Um, It wasn't until I was about 20, 21 that I got out of that relationship. By that point, I was... I thought I had so many people around me that were drinking and using from family members to friends to my own boyfriend at the time. Um, I was helping him sell dust. Uh, he was he used to sell angel dust and I was helping him sell it at the time because um, a lot of young girls were comfortable with me approaching them rather than him because he was like a big dude. Uh, so I, sorry, my, my thoughts are jumping around. So I all these people were around me and they were drinking and using. And even though I was there with them drinking and using just as much, I never thought that I had a problem. I never thought this is too much or this is, you know, or anything or addiction never crossed my mind, but I was able, I would look at other people and be able to call them out on what they needed to work on. So I was that person, like definitely calling people out on their side of the street and not my own. Um, after I left that relationship, I went like six months, I think, without drinking. And I thought, see, like, there's no problem. Like, I just needed to take a break and get away from him. And once I did that and I stopped drinking and all the drugs, I thought, I'm good. I'm in the clear. There's no problem here. Um, during my 20s, I partied a lot in New York. Um, I got everything for free. I became a hairstylist at the time. And at any bar or restaurant that I would walk into, I would always do trades like, oh, I'll cut your hair for free. And I would end up drinking for free. So I felt like I was running things. Um, nope. The drugs started back up again. The drinking started back up again. But again, I still thought that I didn't have a problem. I thought other people did. I, I, a lot of friends growing up were always warning me, like, never mix your drugs, never mix your uppers and your downers. And I did it all the time. I was notorious for going out, drinking, getting too drunk, doing a bunch of coke to wake myself up, and then taking a bunch of pills when I couldn't sleep or like, you know, whatever, heroin, whatever it was. Uh, I wasn't in my mind saying to myself, I want to commit suicide, but I knew at the time I didn't care if I woke up. I wanted the pain to go away. Um, I had a lot of anger. Like I said, I was like, I, I was an aggressive kid. I was constantly in fights. I didn't care if it was a man or a woman. I felt validated that I, you don't know what I've been through and it's okay for me to go off on you. It's okay for me to curse you out. It's okay for me to treat you like shit because you know, you don't know my pain. And so I justified everything i've i hurt a lot of people i burned a lot of bridges even with really good friends of mine um 
And I didn't get that it was me. I, I really thought it's everybody else's fault. Uh, my dad at that time was in and out of rehab, in and out of detox. Um, when he wasn't drinking, he and I had no relationship whatsoever. My relationship with my mother changed significantly because it was around that time that she was diagnosed with a kidney failure and she needed to have a kidney transplant. And I was up, I, we, I was a match, but she didn't want me to be her kidney donor because it, 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 there's, it causes complications when you want to get pregnant. And at the time, I really did want to have a child. Um, my sister ended up doing it. And while my mom was all high on the medication that they had her on, um, she said in a fucked up way, and I don't, I don't know how she meant it, but she said, you know, I'm glad I got it from Patty because she was always my favorite. And that hurt for so many reasons because when I was sexually abused as a kid, my mom knew that it had happened to my sister and still allowed me to go to my uncle's house who sexually abused me for years. So I felt like she allowed me to walk into the lion's den. And when she said that to me, I went on a serious binge. I was taking my sister's pills, her painkillers that they had given her. I was taking my mom's. I was drinking. I, I don't really remember a lot because I was just so fucked up at the time. I would wake up in like really shady houses and apartments. Um, yeah, and I, I just, I felt miserable. I felt like a piece of shit. Um, and, but I thought that because of where I came from, from my family life, the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, I thought I deserved it. I thought like, this is what I'm born into. This is just what's, what it's gonna be forever. Um, it was in my late twenties that things started getting way too much for me as far as how much I was drinking and using in New York. But again, I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't an addict. It was everybody else. It was New York. I needed to leave New York and I needed to change my careers and not be a hairstylist anymore. And I thought if I did that and I had always wanted to teach and I thought if I, if I'm a teacher, what's more normal than a teacher? <laughs> so I thought I'll be a teacher and I'm going to go from New York to living in Austin. And for me, moving to Austin was like, I live in the country now. So I was like, <laughs> I live in the country and I'll be a teacher. What the fuck is more normal than that? Like, I'm going to get a dog. It'll be great. I'll have this great life. I'll be fine. So I did. And the first couple of months were fine. Um, I got accepted to grad school. I, I was going to be a teacher. And within three months, I knew exactly where to go and what to do to get drugs, to drink for free, to find the after hour party and then the after after hour party and the whole nine. Um, the drugs started up again after at that point. And I, I quickly got into a really bad relationship. And at the time, at the time I met somebody who, when I met this person, it was like our misery matched. Like all the, his childhood trauma was very similar to mine. So it was almost like the, the little inner child in both of us who needed love and support, like we're communicating. But as far as us, we were fucking not compatible at all. Um, the relationship was pretty abusive, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, and I thought if he just stops drinking and using, then he will, we won't have any problems because again, I'm not the addict, you are. Uh, I, I was 
I, looking now, looking back, I was pretty lonely at that time. And I, even though I had made friends and I had people in my life, I, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. Um, I don't know if, if I had to do it over again, if I would have stayed in Austin as long as I have, because I felt really lonely. Um, and the way I dealt with it was drinking and just using all the time and getting into this fucked up relationship. I ended up moving in with him and it was shortly thereafter that I realized the extent that he was using. Um, I mean, drinking every day, first thing in the morning and to deal I, I fell into the same habit and the same pattern. Um, I, I tried to help him out more. I didn't, I didn't recognize that I had any issues or any addictions at all. I just thought it was him. So I got him off of the drugs. I got him to reduce his drinking to just the weekends, like weekend warrior kind of thing. And mine stayed exactly the same. But what was happening to me was I would have these just I would rage out when I would drink. I would get incredibly, incredibly emotional and I would or I would want to like fight people. And I was that woman who was like fighting men in bars and things like that. Um, I I would get this like animal strength where I would like flip a table that I wasn't able to move when I was sober. Um I took out a lot of my past aggression, my past resentments from my family onto my boyfriend at the time. And I thought I was losing my mind, but I really thought that it was because of him. And if he got sober and if he changed his ways, then I was going to be okay. And I, we started seeing a couples therapist and it was during that time that she said, I want to see you one-on-one. -on -one. I need a couple of sessions with just you to just figure things out. And it was, I think, the second or third session that she was like, you have CPTSD. She said, you, like, you are in a constant state of trigger. She said, um, you know, I don't, she didn't know much about my past. And to be honest, at that point, I didn't realize until I shared it with her that I didn't share it with anybody. The only people who knew about my past were the people involved. And even, like, my sister, who, like I said, when I was younger, I was close to... I don't even think she knew the full extent of the abuse um, because I had also blocked it out. I was completely detached from it. So I, I started seeing her and working on my trauma for the first time. I mean, it having a name, just somebody telling me like you have PTSD was such a relief because I felt like I can work on this. I can research this. I can study this and know what to do for myself. I can know how to help me now rather than feeling like a complete lunatic. And when you're with a manipulative person, they're going to tell you you're a complete lunatic. They're going to tell you you're fucked up and you're damaged. And this is already like the issues that that old narrative that was put in my head at a very young age, like you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. My sister was a smart one. I was the cute one. Patty's doing great in school. Jenny has a new dress on today. And it was like, that was the dialogue that existed in my household. I was expected to get married, have children and learn how to cook. And I did none of that. Um, I can cook now. <laughs> um, but so I started working on my trauma and I started just, peeling back layers and she would constantly try to touch on the alcohol and the drugs. And I didn't want to touch on the alcohol, but I did, we did talk about the drugs and I stopped using 
that was in my early 30s. I stopped using drugs and I thought, see, I'm not an addict. Addicts can't just stop using coke as much as I was doing. They can't just stop using pills. I used to watch my dad withdraw from alcohol as like a nine, 10 year old in the house. So that was my idea of what an addict is. Not me. I'm in grad school. I'm a teacher. I work with children. I don't, I, I've never been arrested. Yeah, because I used to flirt with my way out of like getting in trouble by cops, you know? And so I really had it locked in my head. I am not an addict. I also had it really locked in my head that I was invincible because I went all these years with using drugs and drinking and being in these fucked up situations and I didn't come out even with one scratch on me. And so this like crazy egomaniac was created in my mind where in one sense I was, I did feel like I was a piece of shit, but also nothing can hurt me. Nothing can take me down. Like I like I'm Jen, nothing's going to stop me. <laughs> That's just it. And so I, I finally working with my therapist, working with all my trauma, I started seeing things I didn't like. And so I stopped going because that was just my way of dealing with things. And I just thought, I just need to manage. I just need to learn how to drink, you know, as it says, like a gentleman, I needed to learn to drink like a lady and then I'll be okay. And I used to pride myself on how much I could drink. I used to joke and be like, oh, I'll drink any guy under the table, blah, 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 whatever. Um, so I graduated grad school. I don't remember how. I don't, I don't remember a lot of grad school. I had a lot of anxiety, which triggered me drinking even more. Um, I, yeah, I don't really remember grad school at all. I know that I passed, I have a diploma, but I don't really know how I got through it. Um, my relationship at the time was at its peak of abuse and I still continue to stay for years later. Um, I, I did stop using drugs. I didn't go back to using Coke. So it's been years since I've used drugs, but I kept on drinking and I started, when I was going to therapy, I started identifying physical changes or physical sensations that I would experience before I would react because of my PTSD. So I still kept that in mind and I was still practicing that. But again, I'm not an alcoholic, he was. And all I needed to do was just be mindful of that and change drinking from vodka to wine because ladies drink wine and that's better. So I switched from um, drinking vodka to drinking wine and I did that for years, but I was drinking like two, three bottles and then a couple of six packs or a six pack really. And it was okay for me to do shots of vodka, but I just couldn't drink vodka. This was like how I explained it in my head. So I would, that's just what I did every night. Um, I started working at a behavioral school here in Austin and I worked with kids with a lot of trauma and I saw a lot of myself in them. And I had a hard time my first year working with them because it, it was it was a lot like I was hearing parallel stories from things that I had experienced during my childhood and what they were going through currently. Um, and I, I my drinking really went through the roof around that time. Um, 
I was in a relationship where I couldn't, I, I felt like I couldn't talk to this person. So, and that was the norm, like from my childhood, it was, you know, you're annoying. Like, why are you crying? Like, get over it, you know, like toughen up. Um, my coping skill was just like, handle it. You got to deal, like get through this, get through the day, get however you have to do it. So I used to always joke and say like, work hard, play hard, work hard, play hard. And so I would come home from work and before I even took like changed my clothes, I was like having a drink or a shot or something. Um, so I stayed in that relationship. I completely lost myself a sense of self. I, didn't have any self-esteem, any confidence that I've had in my life was completely fucking gone. And I would have done anything to stay with that person, including sacrifice my own self, which is what I did. And so it was like this new trauma was forming based off of old trauma. So again, I was just living in a constant state of like agitation, of anxiety, um, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not anything enough. And I went right back to that childhood ways of thinking that like, I'm a piece of shit and I this is what I deserve. I don't know if it's a weird Catholic guilt or what on top of it, but like, I felt worthless. Um, and I got really desperate in that relationship. A couple of times I would go to Al-Anon meetings I wasn't seeing a therapist at that point. I, again, I was going to Al-Anon because he's the addict, not me. Um, even though I was like drinking before and after the Al-Anon meeting, um, or even trying to like get people from the meeting to come drink with me afterwards. Like, let's just go talk about this together. Like, we'll be fine. Let's just go drink together. Um, and a couple of times I called, it's funny. I called, uh, like an AA hotline. But I missed it. I was calling an Al-Anon hotline and I ended up getting an AA hotline. I don't know how. And I I was talking to this woman on the phone and she recommended Bolden. And I was like, I don't even know where the fuck that is. Like she's like, Oh, it's by the park, it's the pink house, na 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 na. And I was like, This is fucking too much. This is not even who I want to talk to. I need to talk to somebody, but from Al-Anon, like, this is dumb. I'm not talking. So I ended up getting off the phone. Um I started going to uh, Al-Anon meetings at Westlake, which I really liked, but I didn't stick to it because I was hearing these stories about people heard it. Like these people were sharing stories about the addict in their life. And I was starting to relate to them. And I was like, fuck this. I'm out of here. So I stopped going. Um, the last year before I got sober was the emotional worst that I've, I, I think I've ever been. Um, I, I was drinking, I was lying, I was lying about how much I was drinking. Um, I, I was, I was doing anything possible to make my partner happy. And I was miserable. I was, I was so desperate to keep this person in my life that I would have done anything. I would have done anything in the world to keep this person. And I remember we got in a stupid fight around Memorial Day weekend and I I just went on a binge. I don't really remember that week. I do remember just drinking a lot, waking up really hungover, reading texts to see like just what I had sent the night before. And I was like full of shame then and embarrassment. And I went to I went to back to therapy. 
And when I went to therapy, my, my therapist, she's really good about like giving me homework, which I respond well to. Um, even now with sponsors, I like when they're like, this is what you have to do for the next, until the next time we meet. I'm like, okay, yeah, I got this. Um, but I, I went to therapy and my sponsor was like, my sponsor, my therapist said, um, before I left, uh, where are you gonna, what are you gonna do after this? And I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to an Alamon meeting. And she was like, that's a great idea. She said, but this time you're the one that's drinking. And I think that you need to go to an AA meeting. And first in my mind, I was like, fuck her, whatever. Um, but she said, you have you have to go to three meetings this weekend. It was on a Friday. She said, you have three meetings. You have to go to three. I don't care if you do them in a day. I don't care if you drink. I don't care what you do, but you have to go to these three meetings before the next time I see you this weekend. That's it. So I said, fine. Um, and I walked into Westlake and so I forgot to add this in. When I was going to the Westlake Al-Anon meetings, I mistakenly walked into their AA meeting one night. And this old dude was sitting there and he's like, just, you know, you know the way people are when the newcomer walks in, you could just see it. Like, oh, this person is like hurting right now. So he says, um, how you doing? I was like, fine, really defensive, shut down, didn't want to talk. And he says, uh, He's like, so is this your first time here? I was like, is this the Al-Anon meeting? And he's like, no, it's for AA. And I was like, oh, this isn't for me. And he's like, maybe it is. I was like, no. And I left. Fast forward to my homework assignment from my therapist. I go back. I remember that meeting and I go in and I sit down and that old timer is there. And he he looks at me and he smiles and he's like, how you doing? I was like, good. And he's like, so you came home, huh? And I fucking broke down because... I didn't want to hear that, but I, I felt it was like visceral. Like I, I just felt this change and I sat there for the meeting and I, I was waiting and I've shared this before. I was waiting to hear exactly how I am not an alcoholic, how what I've been doing all these years, I'm 40 now was okay, like normal. And instead all I heard was, confirmation after confirmation on how I am no different than anybody in that room. You know, a lot of the women try talking to me afterwards, but I bolted out. They did give me a big book, which I still have. And I started reading it that night. Two nights later, I went to a meeting the next night. And then the following night, I walked into Bolden. And when I walked into Bolden, it was a mixed group. It was a Sunday night meeting. Um, there was laughing. There was talking. Like, I I didn't know what I was looking at. I know that whatever they were experiencing, because they were telling fucked up stories. Like, it wasn't, like, nice. It was, like, I was, like, these people are twisted. Like, what are they doing? <laughs> and I, I, I wanted what they had because there was this like happiness and sense of peace that I felt like I was always struggling for since I was a child that I never had. And I was watching it like live in my, like in this room and it blew my mind and it's terrified me all at the same time. And so I kept going to Bolden and I would go to the noon, the 5.30 and the eight o'clock meeting either all three or like a combination. I, I was really hesitant about getting 
a sponsor at the beginning, which I do not fucking recommend. <laughs> um, because I thought I'm okay. I got a problem. I know that, but am I really an alcoholic? <laughs> and you know, in Bolden, there's like the steps and everything on the wall. And I thought I could just do this on my own. And I tried to at first until I had to go home for a family emergency in July. So I, June, I stayed sober. Early July, I had to fly home. I can't tell you how many people in the program were like, you're not ready. Like, maybe go in a little bit or maybe, you know, just keep calling us. But just stay stay close to the rooms is what everybody kept telling me. I was like, whatever. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. I'm fine. I got this now. I've done a month sobriety. I know what the fuck's going on. And so I go home and... I get, things are heavy at home. My mom is really sick. She's like in a hospital. She's, all this stuff is happening and I cannot deal and I'm losing my mind. Um, and I was, I wanted a drink and I drove myself to a bar that I go to in my neighborhood and I, I was just white knuckling it. And I started just calling people right there and no one was answering. And I was like, you're okay, you could do it. Just go in the bar, you could do it. You could just have a drink. But I knew, and I've said this before, I knew if I walked in, I was gonna walk out a different person. That the person that I was feeling and experiencing that month that I hadn't, that I didn't have a drink, I wanted to identify with her. I wanted her to come out. This person that was gonna go in the bar and then just drink and get twisted was not who I wanted to be anymore. And I didn't go, somebody called me and I didn't go in and it was around that point that I was like, all right, you're a fucking alcoholic because alcoholics don't do this. They don't white knuckle a steering wheel because they want to go and have a drink. They don't do that. Like, you're an alcoholic. And that was the turning point for me in my sobriety and like being part of the program. I was still defensive. I was still like resistant, but I was still going and trying. Um, I had a couple of sponsors at the beginning. I finally found the sponsor that I'm with now around, I want to say July or August. I don't really know. Um, and that changed everything for me because at that point, not having a sponsor, I was really like, I got scared. And I was like, if I don't work with somebody through this, I'm going to drink. And I don't want to. I don't, I want to be sober. I don't want to feel the way I felt emotionally before I walked in the rooms. And she's 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 kind and she's patient with me and like it's exactly what i need in my life because i can sit there and berate myself in awful ways and just repeat that old narrative over and over again so i've been working with her for this last year she's getting me through the steps um today i can say that i'm happy Today, I can say that I've, I'm finding peace. Um, I still get scared about things, but I also know that as long as I'm doing what I have to do in this program, that like I can get through it. Um, I did a lot of work around my character defects, which was fucked up, but like I'm so glad she had me reading the things that I had to read because I learned that my... It, 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 that doing six and seven, six and seven, yeah, um, really showed like brought the program 
out of just Bolden, out of a meeting and into my everyday life. I was able to recognize like how these characteristics pop up in my, in, at work when I'm not getting my way, when I'm being selfish, when I'm scared, like I got to see it and, and learn what it is and identify it and then just do the opposite or the next right thing. Um, this program and I'm a huge advocate for like big fan of therapy. I did EMDR therapy, which really helped me out with my trauma. Um, but those two together and actually the work I did with one of my sponsors and even continue to do my current, I'm not scared of my past anymore. It was so shameful for me, the things that I had been through. It was so, I thought it was like a piece of shit and deserved it for a really long time. And I don't feel that even though I'm crying, I cry all the time though. Um, I, I don't feel that way anymore. Like I can say this to all of you, some of you, most of you, I don't even know, but like, I'm not hiding from my past anymore. Um, I'm not scared of it. I, I can own it as part of my life and like keep on going. Um, the program has also taught me about my emotional sobriety, that I really need that. Like, that's something I need to like, when I am not emotionally well, like if I'm dysregulated, I immediately want to do things my way. And I'm not that far then from having a drink. Like any time in this last year that I've thought, you're fine, you can have a drink. You look at much work you've done. You can clearly go back. Anytime that thought has come up, it's because I've been like, emotionally affected by something and I want to then run it. I want to handle it my way. Jen's way is the right way, but it's not because it brought me here. Um, I no longer feel that hypervigilance or anxiety when I'm in a room. I did even at the beginning of coming to Bolden um, and work with my therapist has taught me how to be in a room and be present without feeling that way, without feeling like a threat is near me. Um, also, and thank you to the guys in the room, like going to Bolden and hearing guys get open and vulnerable, like that really helped me like humanize a guy and not see them as like somebody sexualized or some or a potential threat. Cause that's what I used to do. Like either I'm going to punch you or I'm going to fuck you one or the other. Sorry to be crude, but that's really how I was. <laughs> um, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I've learned that like the coping skills, the coping mechanisms that I developed at a really young age, they did serve me and I needed them for a really long time. And it got me here. It got me to, I survived and, you know, I survived it. I'm still alive, but getting sober realized help me be the person that I was hiding from the world. There was a part of Jen that I was too scared to let out and show anybody because I thought no one cares, like all the old narratives, but now like I get to be her. I get to like be myself. I never in my life felt safe in a room with men around me. And I do now, I never felt like I was accepted. And I do now, even if you don't like me, I'm like, whatever, but like, I'm here, I own space now. And before it was like, run and hide into the shadows. Um, yeah, my, so, oh. <laughs>
Yeah, so I have a year sobriety now. Um, I, I'm really happy that I made this decision. I don't ever want to go back to feeling that way I felt before. Um, I've met solid people who I like fucking thoroughly respect for the, what they do for themselves and how I watch them grow. And even the newcomers, like the bravery of walking in and like sharing day one, my God, I did not have that. It took me months to share it. Even when I did, I was like, uh, uh, and I would just cry. Um, so yeah, that's my story. I'm Jen and I'm an alcoholic.